The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. And we're officially live. <laughs> uh, welcome back to Culture Insanity, a podcast here at Aletheia Bible Fellowship. Uh, so welcome back um, to episode number four of season two. Um, yeah, some some things to talk about, some, some updates on some things we've already talked about that, um, yeah, deserve some attention considering it's, it's the, the current... Um, what you call hot topic, hot topic in culture. Um, so yeah, some things that are on our docket this this week. Um, There's an article that I thought was interesting um, regarding the Captain Marvel movie, um, written by a female. Um, that there were some interesting points. I think it'd be it'd be fun to talk about. Um, there is something in the news about Cardi B and you know talking about her past and um, there's a question of. Um, well, there's certainly a question of morality there, but a question of maybe a double standard because she's a woman. Um, so that's good. It's an all-men podcast so far talking about <laughs> women women think. So we're already ostracizing half of our audience. Um, or, yeah. Uh, there's a Michael Jackson update. That's that's sort of what I was alluding to uh, at the beginning. Um, just what's, what's the current uh, and latest um, news update on that. So if you're tired of the story, um, sorry, but... That's what we do here. We talk about what's in the news and what's hot. So, well, you, I could self-identify as a, as a woman uh, okay. if you'd want me to. For you could, you could, and you'd yeah. be completely in line with what it is that you're allowed to do if if you're um, non non-believer. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, there's an update on the Jussie Smollett Smollett. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how you pronounce it. Smollett, I think. Um, case. Um, and sort of the Michael Jackson thing and the Justice Smollett thing, they sort of bleed into each other in terms of maybe maybe the angle we're taking today. And then if we have time, uh, maybe we address the the Kanye West um, Sunday service as he's calling it. So some red flags <laughs> with with that guy, uh, winner they're not. <clears throat> so yeah, so there was a there was a article. Written by uh, written by a woman, um, just sort of a, a review, um, a different kind of review on the Captain Marvel movie. So for those that don't know, Captain Marvel, latest Marvel movie, strong superhero, you know, gonna save the day in the next Avengers <laughs> chapter. Um, but it was sort of, um, yeah, being advertised pretty blatantly as sort of like this um, strong feminist. Uh, rallying call i guess i don't know but there was everything that was being written about it um leading up to it and and after it um you know it's it's being touted as you know like the feminist's ideal movie finally here's a character you know that's seemingly flawless maybe that's a different issue um but yeah so all that so it's it was generating a lot of buzz is my point um this person um reviewed this movie um and she is like a self-proclaimed um i don't know feminist i guess she 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 won she's been wanting to see uh you know 
a, a movie like this with a strong female character, um, but she writes it from a sort of an honest viewpoint. Because I saw it, and I think you saw it, and you probably did not see it, I'm guessing. I did not. Um, I, I think I saw a trailer for it. Yeah. And, <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I personally thought it was um, kind of a boring movie. I don't know what your initial, what your off-the-cuff off review is of it, Josh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, just sort of. It was fine. It was not, fun. Non-compelling. It was fun, but non-compelling. I, I mostly got a kick out of seeing uh, the technology they the technology flawlessly used to reduce the age of Sam Jackson oh, yeah. and and uh, Clark Gregg. Which they apparently like to do over there at the MCU. They've done it to several several of their characters now. <laughs> oh yeah, Clark Gregg too. Um, but anyways, so I'm just going to read a couple things from this article and then maybe we'll pose the question. But um, So she's talking about the movie and breaking it down um, and ultimately decides that though she wanted it to be like the movie that she can put on a pedestal that all females can put on a pedestal she had a hard time doing so um she says in reviewing the movie that's when i realized that i've been doing the same thing for the last few years not allowing myself to fully critique female-led uh films the same way i do their male starring counterparts trying so hard to force myself to like some of these movies more than i actually do i think she was talking about being in the taxi after the movie and she sort of was giving a very not passionate review to her taxi driver Mm. um and realizing that about herself but she was because she was lying about it she's like oh yeah it was great but she was like lying um and then she said ultimately i'm scared to speak negatively about strong women because i feel like my feedback will hurt the chances of there being more female um cinematic heroes in the future it seems anti-feminist to complain about gal gadot's wonder woman not looking quite athletic enough to be an amazon warrior trained by an ambiguously accented ant after all diana's strength comes from powers not physical muscles plus commenting on women's appearance sounds awfully sexist i wouldn't dare you see i've been selectively cheering movies on um while also secretly wishing that they had everything humor brains courage charisma strength confidence and heart so that they are are worthy of being the star of a figurative poster on my bedroom wall. She ultimately, yeah, like lands on the side of the movie was just not compelling. Um, and the character is, you know, seemingly fall out. What's it called when a character is, has no flaws. It's, it's called something in movies. Do you know, Josh? Uh, like Sue. are you talking about like Sue? a Mary Sue? Mary Sue, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I think she uses that. Um, that it's term. not just that a character has no flaws. I'll, I'll look up the definition for you. Yeah, so she had a problem with that, you know, the writing and all this stuff. But so she was in this weird dissonance. Wow, this chair is terrible. She was in this weird dissonance of you know wanting to like the movie but recognizing that it's not that great. Um, and then she's so she's scared of. Um, saying these things honestly in fear of um in fear of hurting the cause if you will you tracking um so then the question is is there i don't know if this is posed right but is there a disparity in feminism and valid criticism or like is it possible to have feminist ideals with valid criticism or is there is there a, a real danger there as she's suggesting she's scared in her review even though it's her honest review because it might it might um sort of damn the the feminist movement 
You have a half smirk on your face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, you know, the the feminist movement is is um, they they they're having issues with identity, so they're touting themselves as you know. Uh, having an identity, but not understanding what their identity is. So most feminists want to project that they are um, that they are it, that women are it, and that and that uh, men are nothing, and that women are superior to men. But then they try to tout that. Uh, by uh, by comparing themselves to men. Well, okay, you're you're obviously confused. <laughs> the reality of it is is that if you want to take joy in who you are as a woman, then understand your womanness and be content with that but when you start comparing yourself to men and how men perform and what they do and and uh, are you uh, are you a good representative of that and etc cetera, etc cetera, all it says to me is that it's lame and that you really don't understand the issues maybe a better question as we have a couch full of men is can we criticize these you know uh, like uh, uh, these, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like blatantly feminist style movies or any media for that matter. Can we as men criticize them without being labeled as sexist? Sure. Or anti-feminist? Sure. We can. Yeah. You think we can safely? Yeah. Well, unless in, unless you're a wuss <laughs> and afraid of afraid of somebody, you know, uh, trying to had, hold a label on you. I'm the not views afraid. Presented in this program are not meant to express <laughs> the specific views of the lay You know, I'm all, I'm about truth, and truth is devoid of uh, the fear. Okay, let me rephrase the question. Of being labeled. Do you think we can? You think the third time will be a charm? No, no I was going to say. <laughs> I was going to say. Do you think that we, as men, can criticize and comment and critique these arts, whatever they may be? Um, Without being labeled as sexist or anti-feminist, do you think that the culture allows us to do that? Oh, that's a different story altogether. Um, because I, sure, of course we can, right? And, yes, you know. we can. And I think that the, the one has to take into consideration that currently the culture is in flex. And since the culture is in flex... Because her view is she's a woman and she feels like she can't do that. Well, that's because she's insecure and not sure of herself. And she's more importantly thinks that, you know, her voice is so uh, necessary to the uh, proclamation of her womanness that um, she's not sure she can be true to her Well, voice. I mean, I don't, I don't remember the exact... Um, her exact job, but like if if she's a film critic, then her words do carry weight on some level. <laughs> if she's a film, <laughs> or if she's a, a a film critic for the USA Today, a national, you know. Okay, but you can't be okay. So you have to separate out. There has to be a compartmentalization here. If she wants to be a feminist, 
then and tout the ideals of feminism, then that's one thing. If she wants to be a film critic, that's another. And it's entirely possible an honest film critic will critique what it is that they're viewing Objectively. regardless. Yeah. Is that, but okay, so from. I want to push back a little bit. So two things one i don't know that that view of feminism that you're talking about i don't know that that view is actually i don't know that feminism is a monolithic term it's, so it's it's morphed over the years but at its heart it's pretty much there okay so i don't i don't know that feminism is a monolithic term i don't know that that description of feminism is like really represents where people are at in general. I think that there is a subsect that mm-hmm. that leads a very specific, you know, like the outliers of feminism. But I think the majority of people who consider themselves feminists aren't actually thinking in those terms. I think they're just thinking about equality for women. Not saying that they have a, a real good definition of what equality is mm. or have really thought it through as like a political position. I'm speaking clearly from a social science position. Okay. But then you would recognize that it's not monolithic, right? Sure. There's it, no like the, organization feminism and then you join it and get a card. Um, actually, there is now, for example. What do you mean? National Organization of Women. Right, but that is, that a, is a feminist. That's a feminist group, but that's yeah. not the only feminist group. It's not the only one, but they're it's pretty like they're the big authority and represent on. quite a bit. Sure. So, but that's what I'm. That's what I mean. It's not monolithic. Right, but feminism has been around for years and years and years, and I've seen it grow into all kinds of different ways. So, but then in talking about this lady, like we're assuming that she is more along the now side of feminism, right? Mm, okay, I'll give uh, I'll give some leeway there. Sure. Okay. And then the second thing I wanted to ask about, well, actually, let me quickly break to say what a Mary Sue is. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So a Mary Sue, um, originally a concept in fan fiction, is a type of female character who's depicted as unrealistically lacking in flaws or weaknesses. Um, Yeah. And so people call them Mary Sues. It actually doesn't just apply to females. females. Mm. Uh, The the best example in sci-fi is Wesley Crusher on Star Trek The Next Generation. He He's considered a Mary Sue. Like, the boy genius. Mm-hmm. And it's oftentimes, like, the writer of it is, like, this is the person that exemplifies them almost as if they're, like, uh, an avatar for the writer. So, anyway, that's what a Mary Sue is. Now, back to the discussion. Um, <clears throat> what, what, what was the... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You were pushing back. You were pushing back, back on pushing? The, the general... The general like consensus of feminism, and then you were oh yeah 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 yeah. Her position. What what I was going to push back on is the concept of of uh, a critic without bias. I think that there's a difference between an, an observer and then a critic. Like an observer is somebody who just writes down history, and that's mm. not what a critic does. A critic uses their bias specific, like that's what they do, and they they come from different schools of thought and so on and so forth. So. Uh, she's not a, mo- a movie reviewer in the sense... Well, no, she's not a movie historian in the sense of just writing down what happened. She's a movie critic, so she's going to use her bias. And if her bias is feminism, then I think that it is, it, it's actually really telling that she worries that her position is in conflict 
with her ability to be intellectually honest in her field. That actually says something about the strength of feminism or the not strength. Yeah, because her, her conflict is that it'll crumble if there are voices like hers that are honest in there. Right. Yeah. That's my pushback. You're welcome to push back. Well, you're, that's now we're dealing in a realm of opinions. So what you just said doesn't contradict anything that I said. My belief is, is that the critic is not a historian. You're correct. A historian simply uh, delineates facts about a particular deal. A critic is somebody who's going to look at the film and critique it, yes, coming from a particular angle. So if she's stating on the upfront that her critique is how it is that this film measures up to her concept of what feminism in culture is to represent, then that's okay. But if that's what she's really critiquing and she states that up front in her critique, then she can still be honest with that. If, however, she's not being honest in how she approaches her critique, then she should feel guilty and ashamed. Well, I think that's what she's doing. I think she's she's saying that that position is something she has to rethink because it's not allowing her to be an honest critic she just needs, to me it reminds she me, needs to man up to me it's well i'm confused i'm confused on what you're saying are you saying well, that she should use that. her feministic viewpoint sure if that's if that's truly where she's coming from and she's critiquing it from that standpoint then be honest in the assertion of the critique and say i'm looking at this and critiquing it from this standpoint right but she's saying that she feels like her position as a feminist doesn't allow her to to be intellectually honest and then she's saying that's a problem that's not a problem. That's bovine extra. Okay, I'm confused because it sounds like your position is that feminism is a bad thing. She's essentially saying that feminism is not allowing her to be intellectually honest and therefore is a weak position to hold. And then you're saying she should go ahead and hold that weak position. So which is it? That feminism is a bad thing or that she should go ahead and hold her weak position? My opinion of feminism is that it's lacking in several areas. And that's what she said. As she's a saying. social science. And that's what she said. However, if you're gonna if you're going to name it, then claim it and be bold in your assertion. What if what you're naming and claiming is wrong? What if it is weak and you come to the idea that it's weak? Should you keep going with it or should you reject it? Yeah, that's what I was saying. She, it seems like she's at this sort of cognitive dissonance. Like she's, she wants one thing, but she understands it right. as another. And she's like doing that, that meltdown live. Yeah, and it, to me it reeks of like the whole equality of outcome ideology. Like well, it that's has to I, be, it has to be on par. Because it's a woman movie, it has to be on par with its counterparts or else there's something wrong with society. Well, and that's what I was saying. Like what we're, what we're seeing is the outworking of intersectionality, right? Yeah. Not to get, you know, into <laughs> that discussion, but let's go ahead and see how it connects. Well, no, you're definitely correct that what, what we're seeing in particular is we have we have an old school style of feminism coming out of the 50s into the 60s and what have you. Then we have the intersection of a culture that is uh, the uh, the millennials and the 
the X gens and all of those that are now stepping into and trying to redefine what was before them. And her conflict is, is that she's in the middle of this redefinition of what was to what they want to be is. And that's, uh, that's a, it's normal inside of the in inside of uh, the changes that take place in c- subcultures uh, within a uh, within a culture and uh, it can also be traumatic in trying to figure out what is the position that you actually want to take see I don't view that as, as uh, where it intersects I'm just saying that it's you know if you're going to take a position own it yeah but if the position is weak, then own the fact that your position's weak. Yeah, I agree with that too. And the, but, but, for me, the, but that's the, not my struggle. Okay, but we're talking about her struggle. Right. The weak, the weakness that that I see here is that her position. She's she's coming up on intersectionality, specifically where the minority status intersects, and what she's. So basically, the fact that she is a woman and has a view that she is oppressed. But when she's critiquing a film that is showing what a, that is showing how a woman interacts in an oppressive world, and that film isn't a quote unquote oppressive world, and that film doesn't ac- accurately show the oppressive world that that woman has to operate in, yet it's supposed to bolster her position that a woman can operate in an oppressive world and go further than it, then it's hard for her to see that woman as an accurate figure of what women in an oppressive world should be looking up to because that character is too perfect. Mm. She's a Mary Sue. Okay. You know, we're about nothing that you have said nor nothing that I have said changes. The reality of it is, is that she has an issue. And she has to determine where she's going to fall uh, as she represents herself on this particular issue. I'm saying simply that as a as a critic, if she's going to and she's going to critique this film within a particular context, then critique it and own it like she should. If she has the a dilemma of finding that her critique doesn't measure up to her philosophical leanings, then that's something she needs to address personally and maybe modify where she's coming from. I don't see it as being a problem, except that she has problems with her own uh, intellectual honesty. So you think it's better that she not be... That she, I don't think she does have issues with her own intellectual honesty. Do you like in the fact that in the fact that she says it vulnerable? Yeah, that she's vulnerable about it. Oh please, well you know my feelings about vulnerability. (laughs) Okay, so is this a generational thing where you don't think that that struggle should be live? Yeah, yeah. Mm. No, I yes, I think that it's not something that there is a personal element to it where she's going to have to be retrospect and look at her own writings and and how she's translating those writings into putting them out to an audience and whether she's being honest with herself and her audience or not so what would you like to see in the future from her because really what we were what we were talking about 
is about Captain Marvel and the idea of a female archetype being a Mary Sue and how that conflicts with the feminist ideal. But you sort of switched it into talking about how a person deals with their own vulnerability. vulnerability. Yes. Yeah, so what would you like to see from her, you know, as a, as a person, like what would you like to see from her as she critiques things in the future, knowing that she's put out there that she has vulnerability issues? Or not vulnerability issues, that she has issues with her feminist position. Well, as a movie critic, if I'm reading a movie critic, I want somebody to review the movie for its merits. What what is the what is the movie trying to say as far as a cultural piece? What is the uh, were the were the actors uh, and actresses convincing? in their depiction of what they're trying to of what they're trying to say um, all of those things are issues which you can critique without approaching it from a philosophical uh, bias if however she's writing specifically to address something that she f- that she feels is a part of uh, a philosophical bias for example this film particularly trying to um, address uh, problems and or things in culture that need to be changed or, um, you know, or looked at greater, then she needs to be sure that she understands uh, philosophically where she's coming from and address that in her critique. I, that's why I say I don't think she's being uh, she's being uh, intellectually honest. Yeah, I don't get that. I I, I don't know. I, if, I just don't know if I agree because that's fine. I think she. <laughs> so, like I said in the beginning, I, the movie was generating a lot of buzz as being a movie with an agenda. Right. So, so by what you're saying, she because it's a movie with an agenda, it needs to be critiqued by that standard. It's the feminist agenda. Right. right, and, and so and so she and so she was trying. Kid, she was trying to. Does it meet? And so she was trying to, but that she came to a realization that it it doesn't. Um, Hold it's up. not realistic. Right. Then then she, as part of her critique, she says, "This is what my conclusion is, and based I think upon she, this, that, and the other thing. This movie is weak and fails to communicate." what it was intended for but then she's adding to it the the element of understanding that there isn't really the possibility for the movie to be anything but weak that's not but see that's not her issue she's that she's is, a critic no 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 that's the issue of the writers that the, that is the, and, that is her issue that's exactly what that's critics the do isu- that's the issue of the writers the producers and the directors her responsibility as a critic is to look at it and critique to see whether or not they accomplished their goal well there's no such thing as an arbiter there's no such thing as a as a universal standard for critiquing things even if you're going to say that you're just going to look at cinematography for instance then you get into schools of thought of what cinematography should be at that point you're a philosopher you're not a historian, and this is why, like I said earlier, that's part of what critics are not historians. No, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. The, the The person who critiques, though, has to lay a foundation for what it is they're critiquing and why the critique is being done. 
which she did. And okay, so if listen, if I'm watching a film and I know that the purpose of the director, the writers, the director, and the producers was to deal with a particular social issue, then I'm going to critique aspects of the film as to whether they understood the issue and whether they were able to effectively use this medium as a uh, effectively to bring about uh, what it is that they're seeking to do. And she's perfectly within her right to establish a foundation and then say either they met that standard or they didn't. Either it was strong in what it was purporting to do or it was weak. Which she did, but then she's not willing to okay. but she's not willing to address that standard as being a valid standard or not. She's not able to do that. What you do is you you write in part of laying your foundation is to is to um, is to develop within the introduction of how it is that you're presenting your critique what it is you want to address. So it seems it just sounds to me like she doesn't understand how to, <laughs> forgive me, but you know, uh, it sounds to me like she doesn't understand how to uh, correctly format and write her critique. I read papers all the time from students that have this this exact problem that they don't know how to take and develop a paper in such a way that they can they can uh, accomplish what they're purporting. I don't see she's got an issue. She just needs to personally own what it is she's trying to do. Okay. I'm, I approach this as an academic. I approach it as a social scientist. I approach it as well, again, a, a, a movie, professor. A movie critic is not a historian. Well, I, I'm not saying she has to be a historian. Well, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about writing things from an academic perspective. No, no. Movie <laughs> critics write blogs, and they have a completely different infrastructure. Movie critics are telling a story. Mm. And they're still conveying an idea. And well, their medium of conveying idea, an idea is writing. And the elements of correct writing still convey a story to bring your reader along as to where you want to go. Yeah, but writing isn't monolithic. Again, we're talking like writing isn't a monolithic thing. It's an art form. There's all sorts of different types of writing. Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, you know, and movie critics have a very particular style. Okay, good for them. They are in a they movie critics are opinion pieces. If the issue, Josh, if the issue is that she's uncomfortable with what it is that she's trying to do, then she needs to either own it or not. Okay, let's move on. Did you post the? Did you post it? The article? No. I can share it with you so you have just quick access. All right. To it. Um, so that you, you guys decide for yourself. We'll post yeah, the article. Yeah, we'll post the article. Um, let's move on to the the bigger topics because they'll probably take the rest of the time. But um, so Michael Jackson update. I posted the article to our um, thread, Josh. Okay. <clears throat> Michael Jackson update. So fill in the blanks. Because you, I'm sure, are track, we're tracking it a little bit better than me. But the director of Leaving Neverland. Dan is, Reed. Yeah, Dan Reed, which is the documentary um, that's out now on HBO. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, has come out um, and admitted 
to some discrepancies or time disparities um, in the allegations by one of the guys, Safechuck, I think was his last name. Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. So some um, journalist or something, some guy that was, I think, part of the trial. Was he part of the trial? He's a biographer. Okay. And so he studied Michael Jackson. Okay. So he, you know, was looking into things as it as should have been done the entire time, which also I would remind the listeners was done during the trial went back and looked into um for example had to do with the train station right Right. a train station so in in his um allegation uh, and detail of um, alleged abuse on michael jackson um safe chuck talked about in in particular a location where it, it took place several times in this train station um well the the guy i don't know the guy's name that you know brought this information to light he revealed that like the 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 time frame from when the train station was being built to being finished or something of that nature doesn't jive with the um allegation basically the long and short of it and so the director came out and basically go <laughs> yeah basically says whoops yeah i missed that and his um, I, whole narrative was derailed. Yeah. Well, yeah. It definitely, it definitely. Terrible. It, <laughs> yeah, for those that missed the pun. Uh, it definitely throws into question what was already there, in, in our opinion, I think, which is just the um, the validity, the. The lack of evidence. The lack of evidence, the. The one sided narrative. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So. Yeah, there's that. So, what's the question? What do we trust? <laughs> well, it's just a continuing, you know, update in that saga of mm-hmm. what happens. Like, yeah, like, where are we? You know, where are we in terms of trusting anything? And it's the same thing. Like, it's kind of across the board with the whole fake news. I don't want to get Pastor Monty riled Political, up anymore. But, Mueller reports. And- but, yeah, like, we look at, <laughs> you know, we look at that. Like, we've been being told in the news for the last two years that there was collusion with Russia. And then they do the report, and it doesn't show any collusion. Oh, then it must have been. And it's the, sa- <clears throat> it's the same thing with Michael Jackson. You know, we have previous reports, and old information is being brought up, and fake things have been, are being brought up about Michael Jackson um, that's being released as if it's new and is being spun a certain way. But, you know, it's not new evidence. There isn't new anything. And that's a problem. Like, it's a problem. And the thing that gets me is is that Dan Reed, his response to it is uh, basically an, oh, well, the narrative is still intact. Oh, really? I missed that part. So he's he admits yeah, that there's yeah, yeah, a discrepancy, yeah. Yep. Yep. but yeah. also says that doesn't change anything. Yeah. Huh? Right. <laughs> no, no, no. Because he's he's coming from a world of subjective reality. Here's here's what he says. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. There seems to be no doubt about the station date. The date they have wrong is the end of the abuse. So basically, in the narrative, the abuse stopped when he was 14, which was before the train station was made. And then he's saying, uh, yeah, the station date, that's true. Uh, that just means the abuse took place later. Yeah, and what's funny, it's funny, although it's really not funny, 
but it's funny because it's so absurd. Um, and you you mentioned this before we went live, Josh. Is court trials are built on like the details of a testimony, right? And so now we're at a point of you know the details are not remembered the right way or whatever, but they're wanting their testimony to remain intact. And it's like that's not. That's not how it works. Right. Like exactly. you don't get to claim that. Oh yeah, the details are cloudy, but still, yeah. Here's this. You know. Yeah. Well, like expect a in a court of law, like remembering details about where a house was in particular, or how a room was set up, or those things are very, very important to to getting a conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, those things aren't there. Then again, having a trial by jury, being able to face your accusers. Having actual evidence, having yeah. having you know all of those things are a, are a part of making somebody guilty, and uh, none of those things are present here. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of evidence. Like, uh, let me just give you, let me just give you uh, like a little tiny piece of evidence that has been blown out of the water. I've seen a lot about Michael Jackson's porn collection lately, and they're saying Michael Jackson <clears throat> had all of these books about uh, pornography, right? Well, the truth is, is that he did have a porn collection. However, his porn collection is all adult porn that is heterosexual, not not homosexual. And the material that he did have that had children depicted in it was not sexual material. It was material that was taken out of his library that was just books on art. Like I've seen the mm. pictures, I've seen the pictures of the books, and I've seen the listings of the books. They're books on art that you can buy anywhere. Like you can buy them on Amazon. Then the other thing is, is that you have to understand that that's a part of his personal library, which was one of the largest personal libraries, like personal collections of libraries, because he was an avid reader. And so he had an art section. He had a music section. He had a classical literature section. Well, these things were scanned over looking for material that he could possibly use. And so they found in his library books of art that had pictures of little kids in them, not in adult erotic positions or anything like that. And they took those and they said, here's a book that uh, here's like, here's a hundred books out of Michael Jackson's collection that are, that can be used this way. Now, when the police took them into custody and you look at the police records, cause they're available online, it says that these books are not, um, they're not adult material, right? But they're, they're used that way. But, but that's what, that's what the prosecution was trying to prove was that he was using them that way. And that's an example. That's an example of like how evidence is, is taken right use yeah another thing about the the whole train thing was in the previous testimony by the parent of this guy i want to say i think i read this yeah she admitted that like they were on a family vacation or something like that is that correct Mm -hmm. and so just like that and this was back when the trial like the actual trial was happening like this was her testimony that they were on a a vacation in the grand canyon or something of that nature and so and again, this is a guy that testified in, in his on in his defense back then, and so, so it's like, yeah, these these details don't don't jive, and yeah. One of the, one of the articles that I was reading about this particular story um, uh, is from a British um, newspaper 
writer, a, a British journalist, and he was just talking about how America isn't covering it. It's all over Britain. Like, it's mm-hmm. all up in Britain. They're talking about the this particular uncovery and how it affects things, but they're not talking about it in America. Of course not. And uh, he, was, he was giving a bunch of different reasons why that could be... Um, not not just because Michael Jackson was American, but he was he was giving a lot of reasons why that could be. But um, he one of the reasons that he gave that I thought was interesting was the possibility that um, Britain is actually faster in its news, and so for <laughs> them the story's over. For us, it's not, and so for them the story's over. So now it's just like, what's the next thing they can consume? <laughs> uh, it was it was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um. And look, if Michael Jackson's guilty, then he's guilty. But show evidence. Yeah, it's the same beat that we were talking about last last episode too. Like, there's the trial. You know, the the whole way it's been done is not is not compelling. And what's been done is more compelling than what's being currently done. And there's nothing to. There's no yeah. There's no compelling evidence, and it's this unapologetic one way one way story is not how we should be not what we should be um, purporting as far as what right. we want in terms of you know fair trial and innocent till proven and et cetera et cetera. The same same drum we've been beating. And the ramifications are incredibly large when you think about when you think about all of the implications of this, even for our children. You know, like. Michael Jackson and his, I mean, he's not R. Kelly, no offense to R. Kelly, but Michael Jackson's influence on, on the world was a huge influence. And right now there's this push to sort of censure his, his existence. You have radio stations like removing his music Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. I've been hoping that that actually will bring his record sales down and then they'll be cheaper to buy. (laughs) But, <laughs> but uh, they haven't. They, yeah. they they've actually stayed steady. But uh, in any case, that's like that's a huge problem. So I think about that for my children, and I think like, how are they going to understand the world when people are guilty just because someone said so? Somebody said so. Mm-hmm. But that is the again talking about cultural shift. That is the battle that is going around right now in our in, in American culture in particular, but that is the battle which is going on. Yeah, I was I was asking my brother when this came out, you know, a week ago or a week and a half, whatever it was. I was like, "Hey, have you heard the latest in the blah blah blah?" And he's like, "Dude, I'm so over it. I don't care. It doesn't affect me." It's he's like, British. He's British, right? <laughs> no, he's not British. Um, but. I was like, well, I understand. Like, I while I understand it, like I'm over it too. I don't want to keep talking about this. I think we're all sort right. of tired of it, especially those of us that don't. I'm just sad about it. Yeah, don't agree with how it's going down. But because I think he said like it doesn't really affect me, and you know, I I challenged him on that. Well, it and doesn't. It like doesn't affect him now, directly, but but it 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 very much mm-hmm. could in right. the future affect him when anybody can make any accusation they want without any backing, right. and or we move into the minority report uh, scheme of things in our society, where you convict somebody based upon something that hasn't happened, mm. that maybe will happen in the future you meant minority report in the precognitive pop yes, culture sense yes i, I knew you. i knew yeah. we had him on here for a reason <laughs> yeah 
I think my and, brother's and just- we're headed that direction, which is which is scary. So the person who says, "Well, that really doesn't, you know, that doesn't affect me." Well, it happened no, with no, the it, Liam Neeson very, thing. It, yeah. Here's something that I didn't do, but maybe there was a reality in which I would have done it, or something like and, that. Right. And and exactly. Like, and he, uh, there's. Well, and within the last, yeah. yeah. Within the last year, well, year and a half or so, there have been major shakeups at all of the networks. Um, uh, coming exactly from this type of thing, that people make uh, wild assertions, and and then you have to spend uh, th- hundreds of thousands of dollars uh, trying to say no, that's not reality. I think with the with the only one that really stands out to me that was bad was the Roseanne Barr one. Um, the rest of them, there was actually evidence. Well, Roseanne Barr. Roseanne Barr was an interpretation. No, no on, on on Fox, there were several anchors that got sacked. Uh, in fact, one one anchor's child committed suicide because they couldn't take the pressure. That's really sad. That was being exerted. Yeah, and you know, you know, Bill O'Reilly, he had a show for twenty years. Which was which was very very um, on top of things, and he just he just said I'm not putting up with this. They bought him out for something like I don't know, twenty three million or something like that. But when, but, yeah, when, but, but when you talk to him about it, he said, you know what, I'm I'm not going to fight this. Yeah, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to fight this, and but that's what we see happening, and and what's been going on with you know President Trump and the last two years and all that. They're looking for a crime, and throwing a narrative out there, hoping that that narrative will stick, even though it doesn't meet reality. Well, and there's the difficulty, right? Is the is Dan Reed's response? Mm-hmm. That's yes. the difficulty. Yes. Is you're right. It didn't stick. So now we'll just conveniently change the narrative, and you're still guilty. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that is what's happening, by the way, with President Trump. Is now they're trying to change the narrative um, because they they will not let go of their narrative, even though the facts just slap them across the face. What I would like is, I'd like for someone to say sorry. That's you know, like well, that's the other thing. They don't say sorry. I, 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 I mean, and I mean in a meaningful way, not just say it, but yeah. that's, that's what I'd like. I get, hey, I get this person really is guilty. The narrative does change, right? I get that. And I get some of, some of the comments that have come with the narrative change in the Michael Jackson situation where they're saying, okay, but victims have a hard time remembering things, right? I understand that. I have experienced that as a pastor. That being said... Where is the, where is the, we were wrong, you know, even, even just to say, even just to say, uh, like you can say, you can say, this is still a truth. This evidence doesn't lead up like this evidence wasn't, shouldn't have been used that way. This was bad journalism. This is still a truth, and we're going to find new evidence toward that. You know what I mean? Yeah. There, there needs to be something. There needs to be an accountability yeah, for just it. Sweep it under the rug as if it didn't happen. Right. And, right. There's no journalistic honesty. There's, there's limited journalistic honesty any longer. Yeah. 
yeah and that's what that's what i'm saying there needs to be that some that sort of honesty and i'm not really sure what to do with it i mean we're basically and we've talked about this before but approaching a very mccarthyistic era so yeah yeah, yeah. very dangerous culturally very dangerous Mm -hmm. hey we're at 51 minutes right now wow i know are we gonna play the game not today not today um yeah we only have 10 minutes left have you guys been tracking the Jesse Smollett thing? Oh, sure. Yeah. So, I'm a little bit personally confused on where that's at because of different accusations being thrown around of what, what happened, how something played out. Um, but it seems like the, mu- the waters are really muddy there, too, in terms of what's true, what's not true, what happened. Last I heard, he was being sued by Chicago. Yeah, the city of Chicago and uh, Chicago offered told to pay for the whole investigation. Yeah, Chicago basically said, look, you know, you... First of all, he put out the narrative. Talk about false narratives. Mm-hmm. He put out the narrative, Smollett did, since they didn't really push the issue that um, he wasn't guilty. And the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, the, the prosecutor allowed the charges not to go, go forward uh, simply because, well, she's under investigation now. Fox is under, uh, the, the woman uh, is under She potentially got paid now. out or something like that? Well, she was That's influenced. That's what I heard. The, the, she was influenced by the press secretary of Michelle Obama. Right, that's what I heard. And so there is uh, possible stuff going on on the federal level as far as that's concerned. But he's putting out the narrative that he didn't do anything wrong and he's innocent and the fact that they didn't pursue anything meant that he was innocent. And the Chicago Police Department is enraged and basically said, look, uh, the narrative you're putting out is not true. And you cost us a hundred and thirty thousand dollars, I believe it's hundred and twenty or hundred and thirty. Um, and you've got enough money to pay for that. And I want, we want you to pay for what you cost us chasing up your false accusations. And he's going like, no, nah, I ain't doing that. And so now they're proceeding to take it to court. Well, and talk they're about- suing him. Well, talk about the the waters being muddy, though. And I posted a timeline of events from the Chicago Tribune because we're talking about you know the need for you know the justice system rather than you know the the um, public jury or whatever. Doesn't that muddy the waters if this is true? Like, well, it's again the the overarching issue which is happening culturally. See, these are little snippets of things that are happening. Uh, within these various subcultures that exist within our overall culture. The overall cultural issue here is it's becoming very clear that our our justicism is having issues because it appears that there are uh, there's a double standard mm. for how it is that people with influence and wealth, and and uh, how they're treated in instances, and then how the common person would be treated, and that's the overarching issue that's there, and the the difficulty is is that the institutions which were 
supposed to be uh, the guardian and protector of that, which is the Department of Justice and the uh, and the FBI. Those two institutions have been tainted uh, irreparably, apparently, as well. And so you have this double standard that is set all throughout the culture. You've got a double standard between uh, President Trump and Hillary Clinton. You've got a double standard between, um, you know, Smollett and... And the layperson, maybe? Yes, and, you know, you've got a double standard with uh, these people that are violating all kinds of federal laws... Uh, at the very top, and and uh, the the normal workers, you know, would never get away with that. Um, when I was still working for the IRS, when um, you know, when uh, President Obama's administration tried to use the Internal Revenue to to uh, attack uh, conservative groups, and the woman who was responsible for that. Uh, for who was heading up the department of making the decisions for who would receive tax-exempt status versus who wouldn't. She got off scot-free, retired, and when, con- and when confronted by it, took the fifth. As an employee of the Internal Revenue, I was constantly under scrutiny to make sure that I handled money correctly, didn't influence people incorrectly, and I, I could have been uh, brought up on charges and lost my job. In fact, I was at one time accused of doing something that I didn't do and went through that whole process of, of uh, you know, being brought up under suspicion and, and going through a, a process to get my name cleared. Hmm. Um, and yet we see these higher-ups that just go off and they're wouldn't, not even touched. But wouldn't you say that that... I mean, you look you. So for all the Jesse Smollett's, there's also the President Trumps and the Michael Jacksons, the really affluent people. Like I don't know that it's I don't know that it is like the Eloy and the Morlocks here, where it's like nice. the upper and the lower. You're welcome. The upper and the lower class of society. I I don't know that the classism really exists anymore in in yeah, that not, vein. In uh, that vein, I'm yeah. certain certainly there's poverty and you know. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not talking about necessarily a class. I'm talking about people that are in positions of power and influence, though, get away with a whole lot more than... than I feel like they always have. I feel like they always have. To a degree, yes. But supposedly... That's that's exactly why they're called having power. But supposedly in our society, that's not supposed to exist. Yeah. I I, I personally don't think that the issue is is people who are influencers versus people who are not. I think the issue is that is that you have these minority agendas um that are vocal. It's people who it's people who yep. who are able to use technology and who are able to use the the stream of subjective reality in order to to get whatever target they want to. So you could be the most influential person on the planet, arguably, like President Trump. And if you are a vocal minority who knows how to use technology, then you can rally the masses against that person. Um, the issue with Jesse Smollett in 
in my opinion has more to do with the f- has more to do with the fact of intersectionality that he that his intersectionality the fact that he is black and homosexual um like allows him a a vocal minority that other people don't have and it's the popular vocal minority and his channel the fact that he is a tv star and not his channel like fox but the fact that he is a tv star gives him a a large audience and so people want what they want yeah but i would push back on that to say that you know when you look at justice you see you see her standing there with the scales and she's blind sure the idea being that justice is blind right so if you violate the law regardless of whether it's federal state uh, county whatever when you violate the law regardless of your position or station in life regardless of how much money you have what your color is what your orientation is it doesn't matter when you violate the law you are to be uh, investigated and prosecuted based upon your violation of the law and what we see happening clearly is that there are people in 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 positions of influence who are not being prosecuted and are clearly violating the law. But there are people who are in positions of influence who are being prosecuted, and and even when there's no evidence to stack not up as against many them, as, not as many as should be. Okay, but ev- what I'm saying is that isn't the issue. To me, that and, is the and issue. the issue isn't that justice is blind. The issue is that justice is greedy. Mm. That's the thing. A blind person can hold those scales and know which side is tipping. And that's the issue, is that justice is greedy now, because justice is subjective and not objective. So she doesn't judge by the standard of what is objective. She judges by the standard of what's going to make her the most money, even if she's blind. So it may not be that she sees somebody and is like, oh, that's ugly, or I didn't see this crime. But whatever side is giving her money, that's the side she's going to go towards. Certainly there's an element there. And I think that's where we're at. And that's, yes, and that's the difficulty that's there currently. Again, massive social It's the subjective nature of things. So how's the... So how's the common person supposed to deal with that? You have the Michael Jackson thing, you have the Jesse Smollett thing, and it seemingly muddying the waters of the justice system because on one hand we're saying you need to trust the justice system, look at what's been done for several year trial, investigation, et cetera, et cetera. Now there's a new accusation based on nothing, doesn't want to be held to the same scrutiny, but then you have the Jesse Smollett thing and it's the 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 whatever the impression is that someone was influenced and now you know a narrative and then he's using presenting a narrative so how's the common person supposed to deal with that so i think the logical position is to mistrust what institution that you put your trust in i think that that's how the common person should deal with it yeah i i'd like to say that that's not the case i as a christian believe that we should view God's, um, we should view the hand of God in the hand of the government. I know that's a scary thing to say, but that's what the scripture presents. That's what scripture does say. So, in in so far as it is meant to carry out uh, justice, 
in society. That's what it's meant. To, that's what governments are meant to do, according to scripture. So this is not to say that governments can't be corrupt. They certainly can. So I think it. I think that what you're looking for is um, that people should people should not be accepting of it. And in this in this case, because we live in America, I think that people should vote with their conscience if if they're not accepting of it. But more important than that, on the mass level, I think what it comes down to is accepting that the reason why you're so bothered with the culture is because we cannot live in a meaningful way and have an arbitrary standard. And we are more and more, like you may be a person who doesn't care about these things, but they are affecting you more and more. And what is going to happen is that there will not be a safe place to hide because when things are arbitrary, um, everything is extreme. Yeah, That's yeah. what it comes down to. And there will not be a safe place for you to hide in your lukewarmness of things. And it's going to polarize and you have to choose. And so what I would just say is you should choose God. Like that's really what it comes down to because God provides us a standard. Like as Christians, God provides us a standard where we don't have to be ashamed of the philosophy that we have. We have a non-arbitrary, universal understanding of justice and equality and identity and all of these things that now are in question. In our society, we don't understand identity. We don't understand you know, the concept of gender or sexuality or or psychology or any of these things we don't understand these things we don't understand what makes us who we are where we came from so on and so forth but the scripture actually provides us those things so that we don't have to waste our time arguing about understanding them and so if you can't have an external ethic then you should have an internal ethic and that internal ethic then will give you the peace that you desire and then can make its way into the into the outside world and that might be something that you may not understand but let me just tell you from history christianity is a persecuted philosophy it was persecuted when it was born into reality in the first century and it and it is still persecuted all over the world and christian there's a reason why christianity thrived when it was under persecution in rome we may not be under persecution right now, like in America, although that's I, arguable. Yeah. <laughs> but like we may not be being burned on crosses in order to light the streets like what Nero did. Or like it is in China. Right. Well, they're not burned on crosses to light the uh, streets, well, but yeah, yeah, but they're persecuted. persecuted. Yeah. But but that being said, even if we were, Christianity would still thrive if you look at the history records. And those people that died, they died in peace. And that's the thing. So you can't hide, like as we go on further and further, you can't hide in your in your secret personal objections anymore because everything you do is under scrutiny and it's an arbitrary standard. So I say, swing. That's what I say. Swing away. Wow. Um, and I, I don't disagree with that. Yes, scripture comes. You're exactly correct, Josh. Scripture comes with a position that... Um, First of all, to understand that as believers, as disciples of Christ, um, we should be living a particular way in order to bring honor to God. Normally, unless you have an overt issue coming up, 
uh, the types of things that say Jay Sekulow's organization comes up where people are violating your rights. Um, normally, uh, you can live in such a fashion and you should live in such a fashion that you're not going around breaking laws. Okay, so that's, right. the, that's the normal. But there is enough stuff out there going on that you need to educate yourself of what the law says and and how it should be applied so that so that you don't run into issues when things come up for example when somebody comes to your door and demands to come into your home you know the police officer will say can i come into your house your response should be sure let me open the door and let you in no your your at least in america your response should be not without a search warrant Meaning that they had to go to court in order to justify why they're going to violate your rights. But even, yeah, I agree with you. It's important to know your rights. You but need even to in, know your rights and how to exercise them correctly. But when we have even the President of the United States who who is being put under scrutiny or a man who is dead, was proven innocent, and is being posthumously, without evidence, being tried in the court of public opinion. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a separate issue, and that's a, that's a difficult thing. Um, and we saw this just this week. E even with, knowing your rights is arbitrary. Yes, but you do need to know enough how to protect yourself. For and example, wait, we can't wait till those rights, those constitutional rights, are changed. Well, and, we need, and there we need, are people we need to wrap who are, up, so. there are people who are working to change those constitutional rights, and there's always the push. This week. Congress now, which is now led by the Democrats because they couldn't get their way and prove there was any type of uh, collusion, they now have decided that they're going to go after President Trump's past 10 years of tax returns. And they have requested, they have uh, subpoenaed the Internal Revenue Service to turn over his tax returns. But this is this is my point. They like, cannot do that. And so what will happen is, is he will resist... It will go to court, and the courts will decide whether or not they 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 meet the criteria or not, uh, or is it a fishing expedition? Right, but this is my point: is that these standards, even if you know your American rights, these standards are arbitrary. They shift depending on the position of man. The interpretation changes. That's why we, it's meant to change. That's why we have our Supreme Court. So it can interpret a static document and things can be added to it based on, you know, voting and so on and so forth. These things are arbitrary. I don't disagree. I'm just saying. And so our You need to hope, know your rights. You need to know your rights, but even then they won't protect you. When our hope, our hope is found in Christ. When and that's what we want our listeners to understand. And well, well, okay, I'm just saying, when you're pulled over and the police officer wants to search your car, the response is not without a search warrant. When you're, when you're, if you're carrying a weapon in the state of Oregon, it's, Oregon is an open carry state, and if you're carrying a weapon in public and people call in and say, I'm afraid because this person's walking down the street carrying a weapon and you're stopped by the police. Your response to the police is, this is an open carry state and I'm doing nothing illegal and you have no right to stop me. You have to know what the laws are 
in order to protect yourself. But what I'm saying is the laws won't protect you. CYA. Cover your own... Wow. The laws will not protect you as things become more and more arbitrary. And I don't subjective. disagree. I'm just saying. In that fact, right now we go, have to, a responsibility. go to the south. Go to the south where where they are constantly challenging that the laws protect them, even though the laws are in place because things are subjective. This is my point. Our responsibility is not to know the laws first. Our responsibility is not to find philosophical safety in the laws or emotional safety in the laws. Those things are arbitrary and they become less and less a reality that is going to keep us safe. And and our responsibility... We're going to wrap after this. Our responsibility and the message that we should be giving people first and foremost and most deeply is that they need to find their safety... In the gospel of Christ, it I is the no one. It is the one thing that they should not be ashamed of that can hold them safe as all of this shifting sand comes on. Whether we mm-hmm. transition, whether we transition to a 1984 situation like Big Brother, where it's more insipid, or whether we transition to an imperial first-century Rome situation where we become straight-up slaves to the government. I stated on the outset. As a believer, you should not be living in a fashion where it will draw a conflict. We can't help but draw a conflict. Uh, maybe so, but I'm as just we follow Christ, we become hated by the live world. Live at peace as much as possible. As much as you can, but as we become Christians, we become hated by the world. And this is the point. This is the point we need to understand. All of these things are leading up to the point where as people, even if you're not a Christian, maybe you're just, you know, a morality, like a moral person, you can no longer just sit in your morals by yourself. You have to make a polarized proclamation. It's coming to that point. I agree. I'll plug your podcast in just a second for more on this. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna wrap. Uh, it's a good. That's a good note to end on. Um, so if you're interested in things we're talking about, you can check out. I think Josh was posting links and such on the comments section, um, keeping you updated. Um, if you have something you're interested in, we have our Facebook page at Culture Insanity, and then to to the point Josh is making to help with that. If you're interested in exploring your faith. Or are completely new to Christ, to the Bible, um, you can check out our website, abfpdx.org. There's a help tab you can go to. Um, that is Pastor Monty's phone. A <laughs> um, couple things um, that just happened, or a couple things in the and the couple things in the pipeline. Pipeline. We just had our latest cross examination panel, which was alluded to several times in today's episode on um, church racism or intersectionality. So check that out. That's on uh, the Facebook page um, for cross-examination. Just search cross-examination. You can find that there. Um, You can look forward to the um, next podcast episode for younger Christian people called The Upper Story, which I believe is on relationships. Yeah, it's like young young Christians talking with pastors or youth pastors Mm -hmm. just um, casually Mm -hmm. on the yellow couch. The yellow couch. Yellow couch talk. About what relationships mean to them and, you know, the difficulties of navigating that in Christian culture. Yeah. Um, And that's the, the last Sunday 
Is that the last Sunday? Yeah, the last Sunday of this month. Of yeah. this month, correct. Um, you can look forward to Pastor Monty's podcast Tuesdays at 11, um, Truth Time with Pastor Monty, where, where he talks more on the kinds of things we were talking about just now. Um, check out Alethea's, you know, burst casts um, every morning, Monday through Friday. Um, yeah, what's the next Cross-X? I think it's on Denominations. Yeah, Denominations. So that'll be not this month in April, but in May. Last, the last Sunday. Last yeah. Sunday at May at 7 a.m. So all these things you can find on the corresponding Facebook page. Look for the Abandoned Initiative, for the Upper Story Podcast. Look for um, Pastor Monty's – does he have a Facebook page? Yeah, he Truth does Time. Have Truth Time. Um, and then obviously you can find ours at Culture Insanity. Um, lots going on with us. Um, so thank you for being here, uh, and we look forward to next time. Thanks. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.